heard a story about a small town church that was having their VBS. And on the last night of the VBS, they were wrapping things up with a big musical production. And they invited the whole community, whole church, and everybody was coming. Church was going to be packed. But about 10 minutes before the musical was scheduled to start, two of the stars of the musical went on the lamb, so to speak. They had two sheep that were tied up right outside the church building. Hopefully, some of you will get that pun, by the way. If you don't, then I can't do anything for you because that's the best that you're going to get. Uh, but there were two te- sheep that were tied up right outside the building. If you didn't get it, you can ask the person next to you. Maybe they got it. I don't know. There were two sheep that were tied up, and they were right outside the building. But about 10 minutes prior to the musical, something frightened them or something spooked them. Maybe it was stage fright. I don't know. But they bolted out over the makeshift fence that they had put the sheep in. And so when it was time for the musical to begin, they stepped out to get the sheep and bring them in, and the sheep were just gone. They were flat out gone. And so they set out looking for the sheep. They found one of them relatively quickly. It's a true story, by the way. Found one of them relatively quickly uh, and were able to, to, to get it back. The other one, they actually could not find all that night. They looked for the lost sheep all that night, could not find it. Uh, in fact, they didn't find it until the next morning. Finally, they were able to get it back. And the production, ironically, the title of the production was, any guesses, The Lost sheep. So it fit rather perfectly. But I tell you that story, particularly in light of where we are headed over the next, this week and then the next couple of weeks. We are starting a new series called Lost and Found. And all of us know what it is to experience the feeling of losing something and looking for something. In fact, I read a report that said that if you are over the age of 50 in America, if you are an American over the age of 50, then you have spent approximately a year of your life looking for lost things. Now, some of you are like, no, it's way more than that that I've spent looking for life. Some of you are, you know, the, but we average out, you know, some of us are, are uh, better at losing stuff than others, I'll put it that way. But that's just crazy to me. And whether you're on the uh, less end or the, the more moderate end of the spectrum on the, the estimate or, or more the extreme end, all of us have had some level of experience in looking for lost things in our lives. And speaking of looking for lost things, I want you to know that God also knows what it is to look for lost things and to search for them and go after them. And to remind us of that truth, over the next three weeks, we are going to be looking at three stories, three lost and found stories that are all found in one place in Scripture. They are all found in Luke chapter 15. And so if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, we are going to be spending our time there. And I would just encourage you to, each week you can refresh your memory. We're just going to walk through these three stories and read them and then walk through them. Uh, you can follow up on the screen or you can follow in your Bibles. And we'll just start in chapter or 15, ver- start in chapter 1 and uh, read from there down through uh, the end of this first story. So starting in verse 1, here's what Luke writes. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Repent. So Jesus tells this story in response to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who just couldn't understand. They could not wrap their minds around why in the world this 
carpenter turned miracle worker from Nazareth who was rumored to have some kind of divine connection to God, why in the world he would be hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? Why wouldn't he be in the temple? Or why wouldn't he be hanging out with, I mean, the religious leaders themselves and, and with righteous people, right? Why wouldn't he be hanging out with religious folks and not these sinners? And so Jesus attempts to explain to them what's going on in terms that they can understand. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and you lose one. Well, what are you going to do? Are you just going to say, well, that's one less sheep I have to worry about or eh, can't bother my time with that. No, you're going to go out and find that sheep. At least they would understand that. Maybe we don't wrap our minds around this metaphor as much, but they would understand that. Of course, you would go after that sheep. You would go after it until you find it. That's what you would do as a shepherd. He's referring to something that happened on occasions. Occasionally, you'd have a sheep that would wander off from the shepherd and off from the flock. And you might wonder, well, how does a shepherd who has 100 sheep know that one is missing? Well, he's got a couple of incentives. One is that just from a practical financial perspective, he's responsible for those sheep, right? And so if he loses one, that's part of his income loss. That's part of his financial responsibility that is lost. And so he's incentivized to keep track of how many sheep there are. Secondly, this is where a lot of us maybe don't have a, a good grasp of this. Maybe, you know, if you love your, your pets, maybe we have a little bit better idea of, of this. But uh, I, I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the, the kind of relationship between a shepherd and a sheep in that culture. Shepherds were nomadic people, and a lot of times many of them didn't have families, or they were disconnected from their families, and they're Family was their sheep oftentimes. They spent pretty much all of their lives, day and night, with the sheep out in the pasture and out in the open country. And there was often a very powerful bond between a really good shepherd and a flock of sheep. And I think one of the things Jesus is saying here, and he's trying to drive home to the religious leaders, is listen, the reason I'm hanging out with these people is because they are lost. They're not home, they're out in the wilderness. And what shepherd isn't going to go after his lost sheep? The religious leaders are scratching their heads and going, why is he doing this? And Jesus, in essence, is saying, why not? The religious leaders wonder, how, how could he? How, how could he do this? And Jesus answers, in essence, how can I not? How can I not? And here's the deal. Jesus doesn't disagree with the assessment of the religious leaders. It's not as though Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Guys, you've got it all wrong. These, these, are, these are morally good. They're not sinners. They're, they're, they're okay. They're good. Jesus doesn't disagree with their assessment that these are sinners, that these are, these are people that, that, that aren't living the way God desires for them to live. He, he doesn't disagree with that, that statement. He said they are. They are lost. They are out in the wilderness. They are away from the shepherd, and they are not where they belong. But that's precisely why I'm with them. That's exactly the reason why I am with them. In fact, Jesus, in a very similar situation in Luke chapter 5, responds to the religious leaders by saying, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And through Jesus eating with the tax collectors and notorious sinners, it's as though he's saying, listen, the shepherd is pursuing the lost sheep. The shepherd is going after his lost sheep. He's trying to help them understand that, that God is not a God who settles for our lostness. 
God is not a God who says, well, you know, that's the choice they want to make. Then, I mean, he allows us to make the choice. But as any loving parent knows, you never stop loving your children even though they make certain choices, right? You still are pursuing them, going after them, loving them. And God is not going to settle for people staying in their lostness. He pursues them. As Jesus would say in Luke chapter 19, a few chapters later, the, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now here's the subtle irony and one that we will kind of dive into over the next couple of weeks. We're not going to spend as much time here, but we'll dive into it the next couple of weeks. It's not just the tax collectors and sinners who are lost out in the wilderness. It's not just the ones that, that, that Jesus is eating with and dining with here that, that are being judged by the tax collectors or the, the, um, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. The, the tax collectors and sinners aren't the only ones who are out in the open country. It's also the religious leaders. It's also these, these Pharisees, these religious people. And Jesus is talking to them as well because they're, they're at church. They're at church every time the doors are open, but their hearts are far away from the heart of the Father. But before we get into all that, I just want to reflect with you on a few things this morning of some of what it means for us as Jesus likens us to sheep and how, what kind of inferences we can draw from this story here. So let me give you a few takeaways. And the first is this, in likening us to sheep, I think Jesus, at the core of it, is really calling us to realize our need for his shepherding and leadership in our lives. Now, I know that seems very fundamental, but isn't that where it starts, right? We need to understand and recognize that we need him in the first place. I mean, if we don't recognize that, then we're not going to follow him. We're not going to submit to him. We're not going to recognize his leadership over our lives. Jesus, by the way, isn't the first person in Scripture to liken human beings to sheep. There's a lot of examples throughout Scripture that do that. But here's the deal. I I think when a lot of us read it, we kind of tend to ease past it and think, oh, isn't that nice and sweet? Jesus likens us to sheep. You know, sheep are nice and cuddly, and, 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 and oh, it's like the, they're, you know, the, the sheep. Remember, like, the commercials with the, 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 you know, the sheep are bouncing in Serta. I think that's who it was, right? The, the uh, mattress, and you're, they're just hopping, and they're, you know, they're nice and cuddly, and we're laying down with lambs, and Jesus is likening us to sheep, and he has such tender care and affection for us. And listen, I don't want to downplay that. God does care for us in tender ways. And he does display his tender and loving affection for us. I love what Isaiah writes in Isaiah 40, 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And that is absolutely true. But there's more to that metaphor. Because let me tell you this. If you aren't at least mildly offended by the fact that Jesus refers to you as sheep, then you are missing part of the point. Sheep are some of the dumbest and most defenseless things on the face of the earth. I mean, have you ever seen anybody keep a sheep in their yard and put up a sign that says, beware of sheep, right? Nobody has ever seen that. Nobody has a guard sheep. Nobody's walking a sheep on a leash scared that they're going to attack somebody. That ought to tell you something in and of itself. But seriously, I think it's hard for us in our culture sometimes to, to, to wrap our minds around and relate to Jesus' metaphor. But the people in Jesus' day, they would have understood it. They understood that a sheep needed a shepherd to survive. You need a shepherd to show you where the good pasture is and to make you eat. You need a shepherd to show you where the water is and to make you drink. You need a shepherd to defend you, to show you uh, or, or to take care of you because the only thing that you are going to kill is the grass you're standing on. 
You need a shepherd who is going to take care of you because without a shepherd, sheep are defenseless, hungry, thirsty, constantly in danger, and practically helpless. That's why Matthew says of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And here's the picture. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so when Jesus likens human beings to sheep, one of the things he's doing is he's, under, he's emphasizing our need for his leadership for his shepherding in our lives. I need Jesus, and so do you. I need Jesus and his leadership. I need his wisdom. I need his spirit. I need his blood. I need his life. I need all of it, and there's none of us, no one who doesn't. We are all sheep, and we all need a shepherd to lead us and to guide us. Otherwise, we're just going to run like sheep. We're going to run around in circles and get ourselves into trouble and get those around us in trouble and end up hurting ourselves and those around us. Here's the second thing. When it comes to getting lost, most of us tend to nibble our way into lostness. Most of us, like sheep, tend to nibble our way into lostness. And we all know what that's like. Shepherds can, can tell you how sheep get lost, how people get lost. They nibble their way into lostness. They go from one chunk of grass to the next. All the while, their head is down eating the grass that's right in front of them. And they stop lifting up their heads to see where the shepherd is and where they are in proximity to the shepherd. They're completely preoccupied with the present moment in front of them. And before they know it, they've nibbled their way away from the flock and into lostness. And often when a sheep is done nibbling, they kind of lift their head up and it's like, oh, I didn't know where I'm at. I I didn't realize I was even lost. How many of us have been there? How many times have we been in a situation where we came to grips with where we are and how lost we are And we found ourselves thinking, how in the world did I end up here? Like, wasn't I just here and now I'm here? And the answer to that question most of the time is we nibbled our way there. I mean, nobody for the most part goes from A to Z. Most of the time we don't go from A to Z. But you know what we do go? From A to B to C And eventually we make our way to X and Y and Z. One compromise led to another that led to another. And before you know it, you're in a position, someone, something in which we never would have imagined ourselves being. And that's the subtle and progressive nature of lostness. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That is the trajectory of lostness. And like sheep, we often nibble our way there because we become so preoccupied with the present moment in front of us. What do I see? What what am I dealing with right in front of me that we lose our awareness to our proximity of where the shepherd is, where the flock is? We lose sight of the shepherd because if my head is always down, completely preoccupied with the present moment in front of me, eventually I'm more concerned with my present than I am with his presence. And before you know it, I'm nibbled my way into lostness. Speaking, though, of losing sight of his presence, let me also say this to maybe you feel like you are too far gone. Maybe some of you, this hits really home and you're like, I've, I've stepped away, but you know what? I'm, I'm too far gone. Let me also say this. Even when we nibble our way out of his presence, we are never, never out of his reach. Because Jesus says that the shepherd goes after that lost sheep. I love that picture. 
And he doesn't stop, he doesn't rest until he finds it. And you can nibble your way out of the presence of the shepherd, but you will not be able to nibble your way out of his reach. You may feel like a lost cause, but Jesus is here to remind you that God is the God of lost causes. He still comes and seeks after lost causes. And you may have stopped pursuing God, but that doesn't mean he stopped pursuing you. In fact, God sees that you're lost before you realize oftentimes that you are lost. You know, sometimes you can be lost for long stretches in your life. And the most dangerous part, oftentimes, you know, honestly, the most dangerous part of being lost is when you don't know you're lost. Isn't it? So Cruz had a soccer tournament yesterday. And one of the younger brothers of one of his teammates, his parents couldn't find him like five or 10 minutes, which seems like five or 10 years if you've ever lost your kids. And which is ironic because the last time we were at a tournament was a baseball tournament this summer and another one of his teammates got lost. So I don't know if there's a, you know, a, a common thread there, but you got a lot of kids going on. So anyways, they, they eventually found the kid. And he was fine. He, you know, he wasn't upset or anything like that. But the mom asked him, I was standing in earshot of the mom and she asked, she asked him point blank. She said, did you know you were lost? And he gave her a look like, what? What are you talking about? Like, lost? And sometimes the most dangerous position to be in is when you don't know you're lost, right? I mean, if he knows he's lost, he's crying out for help. He's, He's sobbing. He's looking for mom or dad or somebody that he knows. Otherwise, he's just wandering, never knowing that he's lost. And I think that is the most dangerous place to be in. But let me also say this, one of the beautiful things about the Spirit of God is when he first awakens us to the reality that we are lost, that we're off course. It is a terrible feeling, and yet it is also the first sign of you waking up to the loving pursuit of God in your life. And by the way, notice that not only does the shepherd seek the lost sheep, but he does the work to get the lost sheep back home. I love this picture. Jesus says that the shepherd, when he finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. When the shepherd would find a lost sheep, occasionally that sheep might be immobilized or disoriented or maybe injured in some way because if a sheep is lost, again, sheep don't have sharp, like they're not, what are they going to do to defend themselves? Cuddle it to death, you know? So oftentimes they could be injured or hurt. And they're experiencing the ramifications of their lostness. There's a whole other lesson in and of itself in that, right? But they're experiencing the consequences of their lostness. And so what does the shepherd do? He picks up the sheep. He puts it over his shoulders. Now, a sheep could weigh in in that area anywhere from 70 to 100 pounds, somewhere in that range. And the shepherd's got this thing draped over his shoulders. And sheep aren't exactly clean creatures to begin with. But then add to the fact that it's been out in the open wilderness And now it's got dirt and mud and animal feces and stickers and burrs and insects and who knows what else under that undercarriage all over, you know, in in its uh, its, uh, fur or whatever. And, and, And the shepherd takes that sheep and puts it over his shoulders. And it's strenuous and it's tiring and it's dirty. It's filthy, but it's the only way to get that lost sheep home. And I love that picture because I think in so many ways, that's a picture of the cross. 
Because in the story of the cross, the good shepherd drapes all of us over his shoulders. And the filthiness and the dirtiness of my sin is laid on him. I think that's some of what the prophet Isaiah talks about in Isaiah chapter 53 when he says, Surely he took up our pain, he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And then listen to what he says. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see the imagery? It's painful. It's messy. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus does it with joy. Jesus says that the shepherd joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders and goes home. Now that's part of the parable, but that's also reality. That's also the reality of who Jesus is and what he does. The writer of Hebrews talking about Jesus says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Has it ever occurred to you that the joy set before him was you? You are the joy. Your salvation, your coming home where you belong. It's the joy that was set before him. All the junk and the mess in our lives, we are the joy set before him. That's why he endured the cross, to bring us back home where we belong. And then once we're home, Jesus makes some calls. Jesus says the shepherd calls his friends, he calls his neighbor, he says, come rejoice with me, let's throw a party, because I've found my lost sheep. And Jesus closes the parable by saying, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. We'll talk more about that in the upcoming next couple of weeks. But as for today, let me just wrap up with two closing thoughts for you. First, I I want you to realize this. God is out to get us. (laughs) But I don't mean that to be in a scary way because he's not out to punish us. He is out to rescue us. There's a lot of people that think, God's out to get me. I mean, he kind of is, but not in the way that you think. You know, so there, there are some people that they, they, they think God's out to get them, and so they run from God because they assume it's punishment. When in reality, you're just eluding his rescue. God is out to get you. Yes, and I hope that doesn't scare you. I hope it excites you. Because it's not what you think. People say, yeah, when God gets a hold of me, though, you know, if I really turn myself over to him, he's going to make me suffer for my sins. Let me tell you this. If God wants suffering to be done for, his sin, for sin, he sends his son. And his son has more than enough paid and suffered for all of us. That is the story of the cross. And here's also another reality. Most of the suffering that we encounter in our lives is self-inflicted, if we're dishonest. It's really a byproduct of us living away in the wilderness, away from the Father. Most of the suffering we have to face is a product of the choices that we have made. Now, I don't want to discount the choices that have been made by others around you and the suffering that you've experienced because of them and some of the suffering that we experience in our world and living in a fallen world. But if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of the suffering we face is because we did it to ourselves and we made choices and we walked down a certain path that was opposite from the path the Father wants us to walk down. And so a lot of it is self-inflicted, not God-inflicted. God is out to get you, yes, but it is not to punish you. It is to rescue you. 
The question is, will you let him? Will you let him? Will you allow him to pick you up and put you on his shoulders? And it may mean leaving some things behind, absolutely. But I'll tell you what, when the Lord is your shepherd, you will lack nothing. When the Lord is your shepherd, he will lie you down in green pastures. When the Lord is your shepherd, he will lead you beside quiet waters. He will refresh and restore your soul. He'll guide you along the right paths. And when you walk through those dark valleys, the darkest of valleys, you'll find that he's with you and he will comfort you. You'll find that even in the presence of your enemies, he'll prepare a table for you to sit with him because he eats with sinners. And he'll anoint your head with oil and your cup will overflow and you will find that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you'll find yourself dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. You see, Jesus is the way. He's the only way to a Psalm 23 reality. And that's the reality he wants for each and every one of us. And so yes, God is out to get you, but it's not to punish you. It is to rescue you. So will you let him? And then another question, will you let him also work through you? Because here's another reality. Not only is God out to get you, but he's also out to get others through you. God has a plan for you and he has a plan to work through you. So let me ask you, for those of us who are with the 99, so to speak, who's the one that we need to be eating with ourselves this week? It's curious to me that Jesus isn't with the tax collectors and sinners in a synagogue or in a temple. Now, don't get me wrong. That's where he wants them to be, okay? That's that's a good place for them to be, to be worshiping and, and in a church and in a synagogue and worshiping together, worshiping God. But that's not where he's with them. He's with them around a table. Jesus does some of his best pursuing around the table. And I think that's a good place for us to start as well. And so who is the good shepherd wanting to pursue through you this week? Maybe it's at your office. Maybe it's for some of you young kids around the lunch table at school. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's at your own kitchen table. There's pursuing to be done. And the Lord wants to pursue people through you and me in some very powerful ways, not simply in the temple or the synagogue or the church building, but out there. Because we serve a God who loves to seek the lost where they are around the table. And we serve a God who loves to celebrate the lost being found around the table. You know, it's interesting. There was a national survey done several years ago So they asked a bunch of Americans, what is the thing you most want to hear? Be honest, what is the thing you most want to hear? And they narrowed them down to three, and there were nuances of these answers, but they narrowed them down to three of the most popular answers were these. Number one, I love you. Number two, you are forgiven, which we get those. And the third one, which my southern roots love this one, supper's ready. I love you, you're forgiven, supper's ready. And that's what God says to each of us, and that's what he desires to say through each of us to those around us. I love you, you're forgiven, supper's ready.